Hey folks, welcome to Veteran November, another episode of the CyberHub Podcast Tech Corner. I've got a very, very special guest, someone who we spent probably most of our scheduled time talking offline before we came on to you guys. Um, um, Vince Romney, he's the enterprise security architect over at NewSkin in the beautiful state of Utah. Vince, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. My pleasure. Before we get started, though, I want to remember all the formalities because Vince and I have just been having a conversation and uh, you guys know how I get excited and I forget to do stuff. So one, make sure you subscribe right now. If you haven't subscribed to our podcast, do so right now. If you're on YouTube, subscribe and hit the bell to get notifications every day, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time in the month of November. I'll be publishing these episodes with the uh, men and women who bore and wore our uniform. Vince, finally... We get to do something on record um, <laughs> after an awesome conversation. And so, um, you know, I know what branch of the military you served on, but our listeners don't. Would you, would you care to share with some of them what you did in the service? Yes, I, I uh, served in the U.S. Air Force and uh, served in uh, all three capacities, active duty, reserve, and National Guard. Brilliant. How long were you in for in so total? I served 23 credible years. Wow. So you retired. Like yeah, you so straight up hung it up. Yeah. So what'd you do in the Air Force? So I started out because my father was that uh, that kind of you know pilot jock that you always wanted to emulate, and I wanted to follow in his footsteps. So I went in, uh, went to flight school, uh, Williams Air Force Base, and as soon as we went into aerobatics, found out that uh, my physiology and flight uh, aerobatics didn't mesh real well, and I could not get a ride that didn't uh, end in emesis. So uh, we, <laughs> we hung that up. Um, and, uh, you know, I ended up in technology. It was kind of that next thing <laughs> I, I felt like I could do. Um, and uh, a, a good portion, uh, funny enough, you know, you being Army, a good portion of my career was actually attached to Army units. Um, okay. So I spent a lot of that time, you know, working in Army units, uh, effectively being an Air Force component uh, for that. So, so how'd you deal with army food compared to like the, the luxury deluxe that Air Force gets? Well, it, the upside is that most of the time I was still office bound. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was kind of that, the chair force, uh, you know, served true there. But uh, yeah, what well, we did go out on, on situations where it was, you know, uh, field exercise or something. It, it was kind of the same, actually. You know, it really wasn't that different. See, we, no other branch in the military sees that the same way that you do. You realize that, right? Yeah, of course. Like, like I feel like the Air Force like actively like goes and recruits like people who are aspiring chefs, and they go, "How would you like to cook for ten thousand men?" And they're like, "I'd love to." Great, come to the Air Force. By the way, our basic training cakewalk, and you get to cook. And we give you cre- creativity. I mean, Air Force people aren't in a rush when they're eating. They slow down. They enjoy their, you know, chow time is not chow time. It's lunch time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I I tried to convey that to my son, and he still went army, and he's now a Russian linguist. So you know. <laughs> well, well, thank you to your son for his service and and learning Russian. I'd say, uh, uh, Dilla, um Mr. Romney. Which is uh, how are you in uh, in Russian? Um, learned that the, learned that a, a little bit a while ago. So, um, tell us a little bit about your transition from the military to civilian life. What was that like? How long did you plan it out for? Um, and and how did you end up in infosec? So, uh, 
the the precursor to me departure uh, departing was the infosec transition uh, i was in information operations uh -huh. so you know adjunct but not quite the same thing and in 2006 our unit uh got tasked with something that actually fell under what would now be considered cyber warfare and so it was this well should we stand up a cyber warfare cell and the answer was sure let's do that so we stood up a cyber warfare cell turns out we were you know the this was now uh air national guard and uh they were we were the first unit to ever stand up cyber warfare in the national guard um our our component was air combat command that we served and they had kind of this long list of things that we were already doing in information operations so we transitioned into cyber warfare no doctrine no training no you know there was nothing there at the time 24th air force hadn't stood up so uh we kind of invented what we did fortunately there were some really smart guys in our unit um that you know could figure out metasploit which was at that time backdraft uh and uh you know we we proceeded to do mission sets based on that uh and as you know from your background uh when when we made mistakes it was you know an unfortunate learning experience but uh, we did and then finally doctrine kind of got established once 24th was stood up and uh, we fell in line so yeah, it, i retired in when, 2013. wow so you're you're fresh off of retiring and so how did you transition into infosec what was that like well fortunately that that process of being in cyber warfare at least gave me some background and going into infosec uh in the civilian sector as a full-time position uh, really just came as that well nobody in this it group knows much about what they should even be looking for and you know arguably i i held a cissp but that was all i had other than my background so i came in with that uh unfortunately myopic view initially and then retail environment spanked me into what okay i need to be a little more uh should we say user friendly as a security guy and uh, that transition was probably the hardest part of my transition finding a position wasn't a problem at that time because nobody you know in 2013 nobody was an infosec guy right people were it plus um i've got a cisco cert on the cisco security module or yeah. juniper cert or what ibm or whatever yeah, and globally there was what maybe 150,000 CISSPs or something around the globe. So that was a, I would say, a relatively rare uh, certification as well. Even today, you'd be surprised, but uh, Patrick Gall, who's the executive director at the NTSC, uh, the National Technology Security Coalition, we 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 did a podcast, um, and he was saying that for a CISSP required job today, there's 0.4 applicants per job. Yeah, so it's still imbalanced for sure. Yeah. Or people are asking for CISSP roles in positions that have no business needing a CISSP cert. I, and I would say that that's probably a, a higher probability. I've looked at some of these uh, job recs that are out there and think, why do you want a CISSP? You know, you're, you're asking for an analyst role. <laughs> yeah. Long um, um, that. That, that's a very frustrating thing. So how did you overcome some of the challenges in the transition from 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 military to civilian? Well, I, I think that I was blessed in some ways in the sense that uh, I had been able to establish a lot of connectivity 
during my career with civilian sectors because being reserve or being guard or AGR, you've got this kind of in and out mode uh, with, with the civilian sector. And, um, you know, it's something I try to leverage now because you probably get the same thing, you get hit on LinkedIn with, hey, I'm just transitioning, Can you have, do you have any suggestions for me? And it's like, well, you know, first off, let me introduce you to some people if I can. Uh, you know, they may not have jobs, but talk to them, find out what's going on in their sector of the civilian world. But the other part was getting involved in DOD contracting. Uh, that was a nice uh, kind of halfway in mode of being not fully military, not fully civilian. You know, you're kind of right in the middle and uh, working with BAE systems was a great way to kind of bridge that gap. Yeah, it, it seems like that's a softer landing spot than, yeah. for example, going directly into like the corporate world, which has, I think, less discipline and, and more politics and, you know, and, and stuff that, that you just when you come out of the service, you're not used to it. I think, you know, one of the, one of the things not to say that the military doesn't have politics, right, because people are going to be like, sure. hey, the military <clears throat> does. But at the end of the day, um, those politics are resolved because it's a brotherhood. Right. And so you have a conversation, you're able to resolve stuff Um, in the corporate world. There's no such bond. And so it's a little bit more challenging for a lot of people who who are mission oriented and then go to the civilian world and realize that the civilian world isn't mission oriented. Uh, not, I won't say not all of it is that way, but but a, a good chunk of companies are not mission oriented, and they're more politics oriented, and there's internal factors that yeah. impact the way you're you're able to work and deliver your your job. In, in yeah, those. and I think my my time with BAE, them even though it was short, it was a great transition because I'd gone in and really been focused on civilian and kind of struggled to find my niche got into BAE and it was like this, oh, I get it now. I, I kind of see this full other side of it. Um, and, and it just helped me kind of dial in how to approach being a security practitioner in an organization and blend the, the good things from military into this uh, much looser civilian environment. Yeah, I mean, the, the, you, you bring up a really good point, um, which is something that the civilian world does. And, and several other uh, veterans have also mentioned this, that when you're working on the civilian side, you tend to learn a lot more um, from the civilian contractors, simply because a lot of them come with um, a trove of knowledge that sometimes in the military isn't there. And, and it's not because the military doesn't have this knowledge, but it's simply clearances what base you're in what unit you're serving in i mean things in the military are very much segmented for a good reason right and so that segmentation sometimes creates knowledge gaps and so you end up serving in a role and you know you're doing the best that you can but you know you go you go to the civilian side and all of a sudden you're you're getting trained by people and you go oh i could and then you go back to your time in the military and you go i should go enlist right now to fix all these problems because now i know how to do it absolutely <laughs> i'll be honest I've, I've actually written a couple of uh of patents based on stuff i went why are we doing this this way in the military when i got out and had time to actually back up and think and see things through kind of that civilian sector i i thought there's a niche there man you know and so not that anything's come of those patents but it's been fun to write those and go through that that thought experiment and say yeah you could fix it by doing x yeah. Well, you know, I think that's one of the aspects of 
are um our military that's amazing and and what i like about the, you know some people don't like the dod establishment meaning the companies that serve the dod the baes the boozes the lockheeds yeah. but you know they're like they're too big they're the, you know uh, I, I, you know one of the things i'm trying to promote on the show is to actually encourage those companies and i hope they have people that are listening to establish a entrepreneur fund for veterans like yourself, people who come with ideas to improve specific things within the military so that they can have the resources to take those in and and solve those problems across the entire service. Yeah, that's a that's a brilliant concept because I can guarantee there's a ton of those thoughts that pass through people's heads and either just the fact that they're siloed in a given project, you know, or <clears throat> to your point in a specialty, um, they, they don't have the opportunity to pursue those. And right. that'd be pretty interesting. Like, I, I really think, um, you know, I was telling you offline, I spent time in Israel. My wife's Israeli. She's amazing. Um, I think she was a Mossad agent. I don't know. I'm afraid to ask. I don't want to die. Um, and so um, I, 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 you know, um, people always ask me to go, why do you think the cyber industry in Israel, we see a lot of cyber technology come out of Israel. Yeah. And I've said this on previous podcasts and I'll repeat it because the more I say it, the more it'll sink in and maybe we can get some action. And that's the point of these podcasts is yeah. to really try to derive change is the Israeli government um, supports entrepreneurship from their big military units. Because you think of every cyber technology that comes out of Israel, it's they're solved. They, they solved the problem in the military, and now they're saying the military is like, yeah, we've solved this problem. This problem is done for us. We've got it. Now go sell it to everyone else. And yeah. they have, um, they've created a investor structure, right, with VCs and with companies that are willing to go and and give that idea a shot. Cool. And then and then the Israeli defense establishment. As you're building your technology, gives you an open door to come back in and pitch what you're working on, and they'll be your first customers. So they've created yeah, this really. ecosystem, and I really, I think if we saw that in this country, it would be unbelievable. Because we have so many people like yourself, Vince. I know so many people that are like, man, you know, people that were in DISA, and they go, oh. Oh yeah. my God, like this is the most inefficient military unit of all military units, right? Um, underfunded, um, um, uh, just, you know, one person is thrown 12 different jobs to do. And and so like you just look at that and you go, wow, if if only we could take some of these patents, some of these ideas and really enact it. But, but veterans, you know, we come out, we don't know how to start a business. We're not given a course in entrepreneurship. Um, right. yeah. We go to university. We go. We go to school. We're we're given uh, the GI Bill to up our education, but we're not really supported to be business leaders. And I think that's where we're missing it. I think that's there, there's a gap right there in that transition where, if only we focused a little bit more on on business leadership and entrepreneurship, we would have. If you think this country is great now, imagine what we would do then. Yeah, I, because there's huge technical talent. The, the technical is what you learn. You know, you become very skilled in a given environment. Right. Um, but applying that outside of the niche that they've, you know, provided you to work in, that's the hardest part. And, and I, you know, I, I always say the opportunity I received in the military, I, I can't ever express enough gratitude that I was given the opportunity to do the things I got to do because it was 
exposure to things never would have happened in a civilian's lifestyle. Right. But right. now taking that and applying it in the civilian world, uh, you, you know, I've I've had to bump up a bunch of times against walls that I didn't know were there just because I was unaware of it. Yeah. <laughs> the stuff that you do in the service is so rewarding. And it's funny because, you know, whenever you meet people and they know you're in the service, the first thing they say is thank you for your service. And I kind of want to turn around and say, no, thank you for your service. And they, and, and, you know, because thank you for paying your taxes. Thank you for uh, yeah. allowing us to have the money to go out and do the things that we do to protect this nation. Because without that, we wouldn't be where we are today. I actually do say that frequently. When someone finds out, they say, thank you, sir. I say, thank you for allowing me that opportunity. Yeah. Um, so so tell us a little bit about what, um, so you, you you started in cyber kind of, you know, uh, a little bit in the service, but then really kind of took off after, correct? Did you, right. outside of yeah. your CISSP, did you study cyber in like a university or did you just take some of those certs? So it was all the, it was the certs and the training processes in the military uh, that I had gone through. So I had basically set six and a half years of full-time cyber in the military. Um, and then out of that, when I, when I got into the civilian sector, that's when I started looking and just educating myself through various resources uh, and, you know, not only getting, you know, certs and, and just specific training, but also just understanding how business works. I mean, that was probably one of the biggest things for me was, all right, if I can understand how this business model works, I can then look at it from my perspective back when I was in the Air Force as how would I kill this? You know, how would I take advantage of this? And then that lets me look at it as, all right, now I can defend that. I, I kind of know where I might hit it. Now I can look at it from a defensive posture and say, how would I protect it? And as that happened and I started studying I'll tell you, I do probably more vendor sessions than most people would even think is, is a good thing to do. But when a vendor pings me and says, I want to show you my product, I'm up front with them. I say, great, I am not buying, but I'm happy to look at your product because I want to understand what you're doing. And I do that a lot now so that I can point to a given product and say, you know what, this niche, you know, let's say... Uh, any, any given niche of, of that EDR or whatever has these players in it and this is how they're approaching it. And each one of them has an advantage. But for me, it just gives me a greater understanding of that space. So they serve me by doing that. I guess I give them their little tick box that says, yes, I did so many presentations this month. Um, and you know, granted for, for the company I work for, we occasionally find something we wanna buy. But that's how I've really I've tried to step it up is understanding more and more about what product solutions are out there because it just gives me insight into that space. So you know, based on what you're saying, I will tell you this: I, I tell veterans sometimes, or people who are transitioning, you know, they're, they're, they they send me a message three months before they're out of service, and they go, "Hey, I'm I'm discharging in three months, and and I'm really thinking about cyber," and and I always tell them like, "Hey, go find a boot camp that you can do immediately after." I think that's a good intro. If you if you come out of a boot camp and you're still excited and you still want to do this, then go plug yeah, right in yeah, um, especially yeah. if you know you were combat 
or you know if mm-hmm. you were logistics or supply chain you know people who weren't really in it i always say like listen cyber looks interesting and there's interesting aspects and we don't need everyone in cyber to be keyboard like we don't need you don't need to know how to code you don't need to know all those things to be in cyber there's a lot of other roles that we need mm-hmm. from you know grc to policy to incident response, to communications, to, you know, you name it, to, to counter, uh, to, to CTI, counter uh, threat intel, to threat intelligence, to, you know, browsing. I mean, I'll tell you, someone very interesting on my team who I hired um, came uh, from the military and they now do um, 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 threat intel on social media platforms. Ah, yeah. So they, they don't know how to code. They don't know how to do anything, but they know how to do one thing and one thing really, really good. They And that's one of the advantages to military training in general is you learn how to become good at what you've been told to become good at. Yeah, I mean, th- th- this person, though, he's so likable. Like, I hate him for how likable he is. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's, there's just some people who are just, like, even online, they're just likable. You're like... How do you get so many likes? Like, like, what? Like, I can put the same post that this person does, and he'll get ten times more likes than me. And I'm like, how? Right? But but he's a very likable person. And let me tell you, he's an asset in Threat Intel. An asset. He gets information. He's able to get a sample of data for us to test. Stuff like that that just is amazing. Yeah. Well, so, it's just a, a really good skill set that comes out of just being in the military successfully. You know, if you navigated a career in the military, there is value just in that process. Yeah. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing today in the civilian world. Um, the biggest portion of my day is really spent trying to take a 35 year old company with all of that uh, incumbent technical debt. that is also a very progressive they're trying to really leapfrog forward jump up to the cloud in a lift and shift uh, just as i was coming on board uh you know acquired companies to bring into their portfolio just all this stuff and of course uh stood up a security program at the same time because before that had one guy that bless his heart somehow managed to keep some level of security at that company um, and he finally left before the, you know, I, I came on board. But, uh, you know, now there's a full security program that's building out. And so it's evolving from that environment. So on a regular basis, we're, we're really looking at what have we uncovered today that has to be addressed and how do we roadmap all of the things that need to happen? You know, because you, it's easy to walk into a situation. And I'm grateful I have a really great CISO to work with. Um, Mark Millen's a great guy, just one of those genuine people that you enjoy working with. Um, and, and it's, Hey, Mark, here's all of this great stuff that we uncovered this week. You know, let's, let's see how we can prioritize this with the, uh, the senior leadership. Uh, and he'll go fight that fight and, you know, kind of build the, build the case, but it really is a day-to-day, uh, evolution. There's no maintenance going on right now. It's all build. And I think for me, that's a lot of fun, um, you know, and, and for, for a lot of people, that's a lot of fun. The build is the funnest part, yeah. right? The maintenance <laughs> is mundane. Yeah, your day to day stuff. And we haven't got there yet. 
you know, I think there's there's still so much activity in that space. Uh, and, and it's great because you can look back and say, man, in the past 12 months, look at all the wins. You know, it's, it's great to be able to be in a position to do that. I recognize that down the road, that's going to ebb. You know, we're going to we're going to have a lot less of those wins. It's going to be more maintenance. And uh, but uh, it's it's fun to be in that space right now. So it is really day to day. What are we doing? How's the, this current project building and what do we have to do next? Yeah, that's um, um, I always like to tell people um, building is a lot of fun. Uh, the mundane stuff is how you make sure that what you built doesn't get taken down and, and, and actually proves value. Right. And that's one of the things that we're doing right now is trying to map what we're building down the road to say, yes, we're investing here, but how are we going to show value once this is up and running? And so even in the acquisition process, that's one of the things that uh, uh, a lot of the leadership at Newskin now actually came from AWS uh, in the technical side. The, um, they moved over from AWS to take on the roles here. And uh, they brought with them that concept of the press release, which is when you're looking for the requisition, you write a press release for two years down the road. Uh, and that's a good exercise because you, you're going to have to prove this is how I'm going to show value. And then you got to follow that roadmap. Yeah, the, the um, I like what you said. And something that's resonating with me is I had to learn the business. And um, when veterans always talk about the struggle in civilian life, um, I think the struggle comes from a, uh, the military, as great as it, as it is, and it's a, it's a great thing, teaches you to think within a box most of the time, depending on your role. Follow right. orders, do what you need to do. This is your job. If you're in a tank, these are the five actions you take, right? Rinse, wash, rinse, repeat, right? right? Yep. Um, and in the business world, there's some roles that are wash, rinse, and repeat. But the idea of understanding business, I think if, if, if people are listening right now, like that's the, like understand business, like read business books while you're in the military, listen yeah. to business podcasts. Um, if, if reading isn't your thing, uh, books on tape, you know, Audible, listen to just some business books and get some stuff and, and, and really just enhance your business knowledge um, so that you can, you can talk business um, when you get a chance to be there. So... Um, we're almost out of time. So I kind of want to ask you one final question. What's one thing you loved about your military service? If I, if I had to take it down to one thing, it was that camaraderie that when you're in an operational environment with the group of guys and girls that you work with, that was cool. I mean, and I've never been able to replicate that. I work with a great team right now. This is, I think, the closest I've ever been to having that level of camaraderie and, and sense of purpose, but it's still different. And, and I don't know that I'll ever be able to replicate that. Um, you know, for me, the, it, was a, it was a sad day to retire. I retired because they were, move, they were moving our unit to Florida. And, you know, I, I know you're near there and, and I apologize, but I just don't like that part of the country. <laughs> And that's okay. And that's okay. I need mountains. mountains. So I, uh, I just said, thanks guys, but I'm going to, I'm going to retire. So, well, I mean, and, and you don't want to go to Florida. I mean, if you live in Utah, Colorado, Wyoming, um, Montana, 
you, you don't yeah. want to go to you don't you, you well, don't we want had to, to go to every time we went somewhere we started by going to Tyndall because <laughs> that's where ACC had the uh, Air Operations Center and so that was our you know that's who we served most was AOC there and then NORAD Northcom and uh, and it was just every time we'd fly in I'm like oh god here we are again yay Florida and you know no no disrespect to people that love Florida it's just for me. There were no mountains. The weather was wrong for what I liked. It was too humid. It was just, it was everything that I was uncomfortable with. <laughs> and and you know what? But that's the beauty of this country. The beauty of this country is if you want to live by an ocean, you can go to Florida, California, yeah. Oregon. And, and if you want to live by the ocean with different weathers, just look at the West Coast. Hey. Yeah, pick your coast. Yeah, yeah, pick your coast and then pick what part of the coast you want to be on. You like the ocean, but you enjoy rain and cold weather. Go live in Seattle. You'll get all yeah. of that, right? <laughs> you like a lot of nature, a little bit of stormy weather. Go to Oregon, right? Yeah, NorCal. Yeah, go to go to San Francisco all the way to NorCal, right? Like Monterey to NorCal. I, ser- I was in Monterey yeah. for a yeah. while in the service. And so, you know, that, uh, the, you know, Monterey never really had a summer. Um, and the water was never like warm for for a no, swim. Yeah, you're in. The, you got the cold one there. Yeah, you you always wore a you always wore a wetsuit if you wanted to go. And and I surfed, and so it was one of those things where I I I, I like the wetsuit. And um and then you go the further south you go, the warmer the waters get. Los Angeles, you know, uh, Santa Barbara, San Diego. Uh, now you're yeah. talking about beautiful beaches and whatnot. That's the beauty of this country. It's the same thing in Florida, right? South Florida, Caribbean. I was in Key West over the summer. Like my wife and I took a vacation. It's like you're in the Caribbeans, man. Clear yeah. water. You can see your toes in them, you know, uh, just beautiful weather. Um, and the further north you go, the, 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 you know, the more Atlantic you get. And in yeah. Georgia, you go to Savannah or Tybee Island. You know, I remember when when my wife and I moved to Georgia. We're used to the to the to the ocean in Israel, and so we're used to like clear, beautiful, you know, just beautiful sand, yeah. beautiful beaches. Um, and we went to uh, people were telling us like, you have to go to Savannah. It's a beautiful beach in Tybee Island. And so we go there and we're like, well, this is your idea beautiful? <laughs> it's nice, but no, it's nowhere yeah, yeah. near what we're used to. It's it's it's, it's kind of awkward. <laughs> Yeah, to your point though, that's I, it's such. And I've had the opportunity to travel the world, and and you just you recognize the value of this country in just its geography. Yeah, I, you know, from here I can be I can be skiing in the winter in fifteen minutes from my driveway. You know, um, jealous. I can be, I can be rock climbing same time frame. You know, uh, I can be down in the southern Utah on the sandstone in three hours. You know, it, it's just. I, literally, if I if I I used to trail run and uh, I blew out my knee a, a year and a half ago and uh, I no longer do that. But uh, I would go get on the trail and be at eleven thousand seven hundred feet in three hours in a wilderness area and be able to look down and see me, my neighborhood. Just, that kind of environment, I just can't leave that. You know. <laughs> so, so I mean, I went to high school in Colorado, and I think I told you that earlier. And I grew up I grew up just outside of Boulder, and so you know, like 
are you know in high school you want to clear your head you go to chautauqua park in boulder and, and you go on a yeah. hike and you, you know you go to the flat irons in boulder or um you know you drive down to colorado springs you go to the garden of the gods um you yeah. want to you want to ski or snow i mean i snowboarded so i want to go snowboarding you wake up you drive up to you know keystone or breck or or any one of those ski resorts a few hours and you're there it's, yeah the, uh, there's a charm to mountain life that I definitely see. And the weather is so much better. I mean, year round, you get four seasons in Utah and Colorado. You get all four seasons. Yeah. Something you don't get in Florida or Georgia. No. Uh, one thing I learned, the amount of times I was in Tyndall, it was either too hot, too cold, or if I scored those two weeks on either end, it was really nice. <laughs> yeah. But that's a month out of a year. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, we're out of time for today's podcast. I can have Vince on for much, much a pleasant person to speak with. And it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you for your service, uh, Vince, and, and for sharing so much about your experience and being such an open book and hopefully guiding the next, uh, the, the next group of veterans out and into InfoSec and why InfoSec is such a good career choice for, for a lot of them. Great. Well, thank you, James. Really appreciate the time with you. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. Folks, more episodes every single day, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, except Saturday. That's the Sabbath, folks. On the Sabbath, we rest. Spend time with your family. Read a book. Go for a walk. I know it's winter outside and, you know, it's November, but go watch the leaves change colors. Do something and disconnect your phones. Do what I do. I turn my phone off on Friday night. Don't turn it back on until Sunday morning. It's just what I do. And I have my, I keep my sanity that way. I keep my sanity um, until um, tomorrow um, with another episode of this. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Until then, I'll be back with more. Stay healthy, folks, and stay cyber safe.